Planet Worker, a world in development. Hi Anne, 2014. Surveying the enormous damage wrought by Super Typhoon Haiyan and the displacement of thousands of poor people, I wonder if this is just the start of their battle. Having lost their homes, they have also potentially lost their right to land and may struggle to find equivalent or better rights than those that they have lost. Land tenure in any developing country is often a contentious and crucial issue in development efforts. Control over and access to land is often a critical precondition for effective development and equitable economic growth. In the context of a massive disaster, such as that created by Typhoon Haiyan, land issues become a crucial factor in resetting the social and economic structure of post-disaster societies. This is no different in the context of the Philippines. The response to the devastation created by Haiyan is now transitioning to recovery and reconstruction, and land tenure will be of importance for all agencies to address as part of a large-scale programme. One of the most relevant examples for considering the impact of a large-scale disaster on land is in Indonesia following the Indian Ocean tsunami. In Aceh, the tsunami caused a dramatic loss of life as well as huge damage to land and property. Aside from the large numbers of dead or missing, almost 500,000 people were made homeless, 250,000 houses destroyed, and 300,000 parcels of land totally or partially damaged. Whatever land records did exist were either destroyed or rendered illegible. The destruction of ownership records, the erosion of boundaries, the redistribution of inheritance on a massive scale, and the loss of physical land itself meant that securing access to land and determining who owned which parcels of land became a first priority in the process of rebuilding houses for displaced survivors. Many records were lost or rendered illegible. This meant that establishing the rightful owners of land would become a major challenge. In areas where land was still accessible, it became important to first establish clarity over land and property rights to minimise potential disputes and to provide sufficient legal and social certainty for rebuilding houses and recovering livelihoods. At the same time, clear policies and procedures were needed to assist some 50,000 families whose land was submerged or rendered unsafe as a result of the tsunami, or who did not own land or housing prior to the disaster and therefore required relocation to new land before the rebuilding process could begin. Inheritance became a major issue to be dealt with in the process of establishing rights over land. Managing this process has also been challenging because inheritance is a family matter and necessarily can only be dealt with through supporting family-level decision-making processes in a highly decentralised manner. Years following the tsunami, those remaining in IDP shelters and temporary locations included the most vulnerable, renters and squatters, those who had lost land to the tsunami, single female-headed households and unaccompanied children. Sections of the population in Acha experienced resettlement due to economic development. This included conversion of previously occupied land for commercial purposes and infrastructural development such as roads and large-scale projects. 
A report published by the Human Rights Centre at Berkeley Law School found that within a year of the tsunami, inhabitants of more than 30 coastal villages in Thailand were engaged in land and tenure disputes with the government and private companies. There were widespread allegations that in the wake of the tsunami, local government officials conspired with hotel developers to take over coastal lands. In responding to the land challenge, the Indonesian government proposed two measures, an audit of the physical location and condition of tsunami-affected land and replacement of lost land documents and the issuance of new records for those who never held them. This has been highly complex and difficult and the resettlement process has been fraught with many problems. Ongoing policy ambiguity and debates over who should be eligible to receive resettlement assistance. A lack of mechanisms supporting community-based reintegration as a resettlement option. Lengthy and expensive processes of land acquisition by the government. And a lack of appropriate private and state land in many districts. The Indonesian government approach also disadvantaged those that did not own land or or have documented tenure rights. Its policy stipulated that the government will acquire land and provide free housing to pre-tsunami land and house owners who require resettlement, but denies renters and squatters access to free housing in favour of a cash restitution-only option. Renters and squatters had to use this cash as a deposit for a loan to obtain ownership of other land and housing. As a result, many of those remain without secure access to land and housing. It was not only government who were struggling to come to terms with the complexity and scale of the issue. Civil society organisations often had limited experience and lacked systematic ways in which to support survivors in addressing land issues. In disaster-affected settings, land is a crucial component of recovery. An Oxfam international paper noted in Aceh, In a context of post-disaster reconstruction and post-conflict recovery, secure access to land directly implicates the capacity of individuals, households and differently positioned members of communities to begin the process of rebuilding their lives and accumulating assets needed to alleviate vulnerabilities, risk and poverty. Land is at once a foundation for reconstructing houses and recovering livelihoods destroyed by disaster or war, and a potential source of income and accumulation of financial assets through sale or rent or use as collateral for credit. The accumulation of natural, physical and financial assets often form the basis for increasing investment in human capital. Similarly, a report by the International Institute for Sustainable Development following the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami, ranked land ownership a 4.5 on a scale of 1 to 5 in its importance to the resilience of communities following natural disaster. Failure to respond to this can simply prolong or even exacerbate the effects of the disaster on those most affected. A recent Huffington Post article argued that the confusion over land tenure following a natural disaster is one of the most significant factors in turning a short-term humanitarian problem into a long-term economic plague on the affected area. 
The IISD recommended that governments take primary responsibility for restoring land boundaries on the one hand and educating the local population about its legal rights and obligations on the other. They suggested that development organisations should also be heavily involved, for example, setting up land dispute resolution mechanisms. Humanitarian organisations would play a secondary role by alerting governments to the problem areas and working to extend short-term relief into more long-term assistance. The Inter-Agency Standing Committee guidelines on housing and property restitution for refugees and displaced and the UN Habitat FAO guidance for addressing land issues after natural disasters are important frameworks for addressing this issue. Similarly, the guidelines for the domestic facilitation and regulation of international disaster relief and initial recovery assistance promote accountability and reduce red tape. There are worrying signs in post-Haiyan Philippines. Land distribution in the Philippines is highly skewed, and despite land reforms, the majority of the rural population does not own the land it lives on. The Philippines also has a spotty land rights record. It has the dubious honour of being the world's third largest seller of farmland to foreigners. Therefore, we should expect that the potential for land grabs, opportunistic dispossession and consolidation of ownership by elites will be high. Local news media is starting to report that developers are grabbing land that was abandoned by fleeing residents in the wake of the storm. The Philippine Daily Inquirer has reported that on the island of Sikogon, a developer has blocked 6,000 families from returning to their homes by claiming it owns the underlying rights to the land on which the family had lived. There are some early indications that Philippines government has recognised the seriousness of the land issue. Panfilo Luxon, head of the rehabilitation programme, has identified land tenure as a key challenge and indicated that the super typhoon had destroyed public records in Tacloban City, including land titles, which opens up opportunities for land grabbers. I know that will be the biggest challenge. How can you restore houses and government buildings if you don't know who the owners of the land are, he said. There are concerning signals in some of Luxon's early pronouncements. For example, he has said that destruction wrought by the super typhoon is an opportunity to set aright easements, zoning, structures and even building codes. He also said new zoning codes could affect landowners who own properties near Taktaban's coastline and that he would rather have the private sector take the initiative in the rehabilitation since there is a lot of bureaucracy to go through when government leads the effort. Sonny Rosal, head of the United Architects of the Philippines, which is helping the National Housing Authority design stronger houses, said there were challenges related to government buyouts of landowners in risky areas, re-establishing title and revising the National Building Code. The effects of these may well be to consolidate the position of those landholders and powerful local interests who have the resources to meet exacting new standards. These indications should be worrying for those working with the poor in post-high-end Philippines. Rezoning and reconstruction based on property ownership and private sector initiatives hold little benefit for poor people whose land tenure rights 
would have been insecure or undocumented. They will inevitably be vulnerable to the loss of rights and potentially resettlement to conditions and contexts which render them worse off. This could be a second disaster for the people of Haiyan.